I have to point to what space is as the reason for all of this innovation. So space is the ultimate testing ground. It's it's the most hostile environment in you know in the universe in literally every sense of the word. Uh, you're completely detached from support resources, troubleshooting opportunities. Everything that you use, you have to bring with you. Uh, things have to work. They have to work right now, or you're going to die essentially. And so these extremes really force out of the box thinking. You know, you have to make large leaps in technology to go from Earth to orbit, and it's it's only a hundred miles up, but the, the, the distance is, is much greater, you know, in, in, in terms of what the technology has to accomplish. And so um, some of the major things that have been scaled on or innovated uh, on by the space program would be CAT scans, MRIs, you know, LED lighting, wireless transmission technology, solar panels, filtration systems, like the list goes on and on and on. And these are all necessities for spaceflight to be possible. And I, I truly believe that without the harsh reality of space, the breakthroughs that we've we've seen would not have necessarily happened. Hi, I'm Pete McCall. Welcome to this episode of the All About Fitness Podcast. That voice you heard in the beginning was Josh Clemente. He's the guest for this episode. But before I get into the full introduction for Josh, I want to talk a little bit about a previous job I had. I don't know about you, but sometimes... Uh, we have to do jobs that maybe we're not successful in to find out what we're good at. And that's exactly what I went through. It took me, took me a couple years before I found the fitness industry. And, and I mean, I had a couple different jobs. I worked on Capitol Hill. I worked in politics. And one of the jobs that I had, though, is where I, it, it was the toughest for me, but I learned an awful lot of, from it. It was a sales job. It was in 1995. Yeah, 1995. I was living in the L.A. area. I'd moved back from D.C., Back to Los Angeles for a girl. That didn't work out that well, but hey, that's <laughs> water under the bridge. And I got this sales job. It was a high-pressure sales job for tech, temporal, uh, technical temporary services. What we did was we sold temporary workers. We did contract workers. It was a very high-pressure sales job. And I wasn't cut out for it, but I learned a lot of good sales techniques. I learned a lot about business from doing that job. And that's one of the reasons why I wanted to take it. I was working as a recruiter, finding people to take these jobs, and we were getting the contracts. I got to work with companies like Xerox, Gulfstream, um, are ones that I remember. And, and it was a really cool job to have in my early 20s. But it was a high-pressure sales job. And the reason where I'm going with this is we had to read every week. We're supposed to read a book or listen to a tape. And I really got into a sales consultant or a sales guy named Zig Ziglar. He uh, passed a number of years ago. But if you know the name Zig Ziglar, if you've done any sales training, you might recommend it. But one of the, one of the talks, one of the Zig Ziglar tapes I had from back in the day is he talked about goals, setting goals. And Zig Ziglar is from Mississippi, Yahoo City, Mississippi, or Yazoo City, Mississippi. And he, all, he had this Southern draw about him, and he had this talk about goals. And he said, you can't hit a goal you can't see. You got to set a goal in order to know what you're working for. And I'm doing a horrible Zig Ziglar impression. That's what we talk about today with Josh Clemente on All About Fitness. Josh was a space engineer, and is a really, he has a really cool background. And the funny thing is, he actually played, again, another rugby connection here. He played rugby at Catholic University in Washington, D.C., and I had coached rugby there back in the late 90s, early 2000s. So we have that connection in common. But Josh is a mechanical engineer. He ended up working on the SpaceX space program. And this was a fascinating conversation because, as you know, I'm a geek. I love exercise science, if you listen with any regularity. And you have to understand that a lot of what we understand about human physiology, about the way the body adapts to different stresses, is from the space program. 
If you've seen the movie for The Right Stuff, you know about that. You know, we study, one of the reasons we understand as much as we do about human physiology and metabolism is we have to study it in depth to understand how the human body survives in space. And Josh worked on that. That's why I was fascinated. I got this, uh, I got this interview request coming across my desk and I was like, oh, this is awesome. I got to talk to this guy. But what Josh did is Josh created a system called Levels. And you're going to hear us talk about it today because Levels allows you to measure. That's why I talked about Zig Ziglar. Zig Ziglar says you have to hit, set goals so you know what you're working towards. Well, you need to have ways to measure input of what's going into your body. If you can measure the amount of glucose or glycogen or carbohydrate, they're all the same thing. Carbohydrate comes into your body and it's glucose. Once it gets you know, metabolized into your system, carbohydrate travels through your bloodstream as, glu- as glucose, but it gets stored in muscle tissue in the liver as glycogen. So it's all carbohydrate, glucose, glycogen, just three different forms of the same thing. It's energy that you're entering the body. But what Josh did was create a system for measuring the amount of glycogen or blood sugar coming into your body. If you like learning about fitness, if you like learning about exercise science, I have a killer deal. I have a great book called Dynamic Anatomy. It's a compendium of a number of articles I've written over the years on anatomy and how your muscles work. I'm actually hosting a live webinar on Dynamic Anatomy on Friday, May 8th, 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern. (laughs) Let me say that again, 11 a.m. Pacific. 2 p.m. Eastern. I'm going to host a live webinar called Dynamic Anatomy. If you sign up for the webinar, it's going to be about an hour long. You're going to get a copy of the ebook that goes through how your muscles really function during exercise. Because here's the thing a lot of the research that we did on cadavers are on a dead body. And what the early anatomists did was they saw a muscle connect from point A to point B and they said, oh, well, this muscle starts here and stops here, so we think it does this. For example, a lot of people think the abdominals flex the spine. Well, they do when you're laying on your back, but the human body was designed to be most efficient when we're walking upright on our feet. Muscles function much differently when we're moving on our feet than we're laying down when they studied us as a cadaver. That's exactly what I'm going to cover on that dynamic anatomy course. Now, if you're listening to this after May 8th, it's going to be recorded. I'm recording the webinar and you can purchase a package of the recorded webinar and the ebook down below in the show notes. I'm not taking any advertiser dollars. I'm not putting stuff behind a paywall. If you want to support the podcast, I'm trying to help you learn how your body functions during exercise, and you can do that with some of the content down below. We're going to get into this conversation today. It's a little geeky. This is a great conversation. Josh is a great guy. He's a mechanical engineer by training. He created a system based on his research in the space program with SpaceX. He created a system for measuring glucose and glycogen and carbohydrate in the body. That's very important for your, for your fitness goals. We need to know the amount of stuff we're taking in the body so we know the best way to train. So let's get into the conversation with Josh Clemente. Today I'm speaking with, uh, I, when this came across my desk, Josh, I thought it was very interesting. I'm speaking with Josh Clemente from Levels. Hey, Josh, can you give us a little bit of uh, background, about uh, a little bit of information about your background and what you're doing before you started Levels? Yeah. Uh, thanks for having me on, first of all, Pete. I'm really excited to, to get into this. So uh, my background is I'm a mechanical engineer. I have a focus in thermodynamics and aerospace. And uh, I spent about six years working at SpaceX, working on the next generation of astronaut-carrying spacecraft. And I was a lead life support systems engineer developing the technology that will support astronauts in, in orbit 
uh, actually this coming year is when, when that vehicle will fly. I've worked on the Hyperloop system, which is a high-speed evacuated transportation uh, maglev train, essentially. And I've done a little bit of entrepreneurship on the side uh, with some other uh, crazy mechanisms and machines. And that all led me to where I am today, starting Levels. So, and, and real quick, you were with SpaceX for how long? About six years. Okay, yeah. can, can I tell you, you guys, and I didn't, I didn't even think about this until you were just saying that, you guys freaked me the heck out in uh, December of 2017. <laughs> you got, there was a launch, you had the, the Falcon, was it you got, was it Falcon? Oh, Heavy? yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, going, going across the sky in Southern California. Did you hear so about you that? The, the plume, you saw the plume expansion. So I was actually in California at that time, yeah. Oh my, I can, it was like right before Christmas. <laughs> and all of a sudden, my, my, my ex-wife looked up in the sky, she goes, what's that? And it was like the craziest thing. And like, like War of the Worlds. I, you, dude, I mean, you have to understand, it looked like something it looked like it was right out of the avengers like when there's that scene the avengers when they're coming into a different galaxy did you i mean did you guys get a lot of flack from that so it was a huge event like radio stations and emergency lines were just lit up and and it's really funny so that plume that same effect happens on every single launch which are these are happening coast uh, from the west coast pretty pretty commonly it's just that the timing where the sun had gone over the horizon and so you had basically the upper atmospheric plume expansion was getting lit up by the sun that had just set. So it was all about the timing. It was probably a five-minute window of opportunity for that effect to happen. And, you know, we hit the window, and it be, everyone saw it, and it was like this crazy, you know, burst of you know, ethereal light in the sky. And every, I mean, honestly, it was, it was a huge thing the whole next yeah, day. I, I, didn't, I didn't even think about that. It just, all of a sudden <laughs> you said that and it just triggered that. And for, for listeners, I'm going to link, see if I can find a good YouTube clip to link below. Cause I, I seriously thought that it was, yeah, it just looks so crazy. Cause they're also shooting rockets off it. So you saw this plume go across the sky and then you saw these two or three things come out of the, the trajectory. And I'm like, I was sitting there thinking, Oh my goodness, this is <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and I'm sure you heard that. Anyway, sorry, it just yeah. it, it didn't. No, no, occur. that's that's great. That's a great, uh, great segue. Yeah. Well, <laughs> then, well, the, to, before that, I mean, we talked a little bit before we hit record. You had a little bit of an interesting background before you got into, into space engineering. What were you doing? You know, you're a home contractor, right? Before you got into right. engineering. Yeah. So my dad was a home builder, and so he's he's done many things with his career. But when I was growing up, you know, single digit years old, I was helping him on home construction products and uh, and on his renovation projects. And so by the time I was in high school, I was doing it myself. My friend and I had a pretty successful small business. We were contractors doing mostly bathrooms and flooring. And I actually supported myself through college with this work. Um, nights and weekends, you know, it was my alternative to the bartending gig. <laughs> and <laughs> yeah, it, it was uh, it was my first foray into entrepreneurship. Well, and one thing about that, and I don't want to make light of it because we need – the country needs good, skilled tradespeople. And you went on to get your mechanical engineering degree, and I want to ask you one or two questions about that in a minute. But when you do um, – and I didn't realize you did bathrooms and you know, and tile work because when you do that type of work, you have to be very precise, correct? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And so what did you yeah. learn? What, what, what did you learn from, from doing the contracting and home renovation that helped set you up for what you're doing now? Yeah, great great question. Um I would say the the three things that I that I really learned from contracting work is uh, first of all the value of quality work. So my my dad had a tagline when he was doing this stuff: autograph your work with excellence, which I really took to heart. And mostly it's it's about personal accountability, but it's also about uh, you know delivering the key to repeat business and enthusiastic support of clients. So like you said, tile work is it's an aesthetic uh, job. 
people are going to see this. They're going to see the lines and the grout work. And all of this has to look really good. And it has to hold up to years and years of abuse. And so just like quality work is key. It's the foundation to a successful business. And and then the trickle-down effects of a strong work ethic. So, you know, obviously juggling an engineering uh, an engineering degree with uh, with weekend work doing construction was was challenging and it's easy to burn yourself out but it, it teaches a, a strong lesson about having the right balance so with enough items on your plate you're you're forced to focus you can't get lazy you can't slip up you have to keep executing with precision and, and high cadence and so uh, you know it, it kind of just played played really well with teaching me some life lessons that I've I've used ever since. And so when you were studying, because you went to Catholic University, and, and for listeners, you know, we, we were talking a little bit before before hit record, because I'm from, you know, he's from a little bit south of Washington, D.C., and mm-hmm. actually coached rugby at Catholic a little bit, and so we had a little bit in common there. But you went to Catholic yeah. University, you studied mechanical engineering. What did you want to get into um, by studying, by be, being an engineer? What type of uh, field did you want to go into studying mechanical engineering? Yeah, um, <laughs> It's funny. I So leading up to deciding on engineering, there was never a choice. So I, I really don't recall a moment of discerning between different paths in life. I, there was only ever one option, and that was engineering school for me. Um, and the reason for this is just I've been obsessed from the earliest days that I can remember with tools and machines and especially motors. Um, I, you know, that in high school and college led to a, an obsession with cars and off-road dirt bikes and four-wheelers. And so this appreciation for machines and con- constructing things, you know, that, that was, I wanted to make this a career where I could dream up and build the next, uh, the next generation of, of crazy machines. And, you know, frankly, I, I've never been the most exceptional student. I have a, I think a strong work ethic, but I didn't consider that I would have an opportunity to go into the space program or any space program when I was studying. So my plan was to get out and work in the automotive world after school. And, uh, you know, uh, companies were coming up like Tesla, for example, that were really catching my eye. And I was getting excited to work in the in this new generation of automotive. And uh, ultimately, I did have the opportunity, of course, to, to work in the space program. And that was a realization of a childhood dream I never thought that I would be able to achieve because, you know, space flight and exploration have also been just core passions of mine for as long as I can remember. And when you were a kid growing up, I mean, you're out, you didn't, you grew up pretty close to the DC area, as I mentioned. Did you go, spend a lot of time at the Air and Space Museum in, in DC? Yes. And uh, actually, prior to that, so I, we moved to Virginia when I was about seven years old. And prior to that, we lived in St. Louis. And there's this fair uh, in, in, on the 4th of July. It's called the VP Fair. And it's kind of an air and space show. And the Blue Angels come in. And th- that is, those are the earliest moments from my recollection where I just could not stop just staring in awe at the machines flying overhead and the concept of uh, uh, just high speed flight and, and space flight. You know, these things have been roiling around in my brain since. Yes, it's before I had thoughts, I think. And so what was it like when you ended up working on a space program? I mean, what I mean, was it one of those pinch yourself moments? You're like, goodness, I can't believe I'm doing this every day. Absolutely. Yeah, it was a it was a a, a life changing experience, to be honest with you, and uh, and something that I will always look back on with fondness. And I, I hope to contribute to the space program in the future as well. You know, it's just a, it was a an, extraordinary opportunity to get in at the ground floor at SpaceX with a, a team of people that are just exceptional at, w- at what they do and with a mission that, you know, you just couldn't pick a better one to to get behind. And so being able to, you know, in those early days, take an idea right through to installing it on a rocket and sending it into orbit uh, within the span of just a matter of weeks was something that you, you honestly, you can't beat uh, from if you're someone like me who who appreciates the process of, of building, iterating and testing your work. So, 
you know, not to mention the successes of the team have just been extraordinary. So being able to just share in that and be a part of that has been just I'm very blessed to have had that experience. And that and that I mean, to me, that's amazing. That's why you know, I want to follow up and, and have this interview, because I think a lot of people don't realize that a lot of the innovation we have, a lot of the technology we use today came from the research that was done, you know, on space programs. And so that's that's the question is what is you know why what what drives the technological innovation? I mean, why is space mm. research so important? What is it about researching specifically for space mm. that creates these new this new technology or all this technology we use today? It's a it's a great question. You know, I have to I have to point to what space is as the reason for all of this innovation. So space is the ultimate testing ground. It's it's the most hostile environment in you know in the universe in literally every sense of the word. Uh, you're completely detached from support resources, troubleshooting opportunities. Everything that you use, you have to bring with you. Uh, things have to work. They have to work right now, or you're going to die essentially. And so these extremes really force out of the box thinking. You know, you have to make large leaps in technology to go from Earth to orbit, and it's it's only a hundred miles up but the 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 distance is is much greater you know in 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 terms of what the technology has to accomplish and so um some of the major things that have been scaled on or innovated uh, on by the space program would be cat scans mris you know led lighting wireless transmission technology solar panels filtration systems like the list goes on and on and on and these are all necessities for spaceflight to be possible and i i truly believe that without the harsh reality of space, the breakthroughs that we've we've seen would not have necessarily happened. I never really thought about it. You, you said, you know, 100 miles up, and, and you think of space as being really far away, but 100 mm-hmm. miles is, is a distance from where I live to, to downtown Los Angeles. So exactly. in one sense, it doesn't really seem that far, but yet when you're out, you know, I guess when you go up in space... It's completely limitless. What type of what type of systems did you work on with SpaceX? What was your main area of expertise? So um, I, I did quite a few things. I, I had essentially two careers inside of SpaceX. The first was working on composite mech systems, so uh, aerodynamic systems, things made of carbon fiber and Kevlar that would uh, give the rocket its shape and allow it to cut through the air on the way up into orbit effortlessly. And so these are, you know, with with spaceflight in particular. Every pound is extraordinarily expensive. So you need the fuel to lift that pound into orbit, and then you need fuel to lift that fuel to lift that pound. You know, it's sort of this like nightmarish equation of physics that, that drives it. So things have to be light and strong. And so that's what I started out working on. But eventually I transferred over to uh, what became uh, really the, the crown achievement of my career there, which is the life support system development. So I, was a, I led a team that developed the pressurized uh, life support systems, which include the controls that keep the cabin of the spacecraft at the, the appropriate pressure, the breathing gases that are delivered to the astronauts for them to breathe. This includes oxygen and nitrogen uh, to keep their to, to keep them breathing appropriately and keep the environment controlled, fire suppression systems, things like this. So it was the the pressurized systems that would keep astronauts alive on orbit. And so I was able to lead that team and it was the uh, that was the the final phases of my time at SpaceX was closing out that project and getting it delivered to NASA for uh, the Crew Dragon space vehicle. And and see, I, th- I find that fascinating because you have to take. I mean, how do you account for the fact that if we're, if we're breathing in a pressurized cabin, you know, we're expiring carbon dioxide, and how mm. does that get converted back into oxygen for continual breathing for somebody that's going to mm. be up in a, in a cabin for an extended period of time? It's a great question. So there, there are many systems out there and many, many complicated systems to, to perform that, that conversion. But, uh, you know, what we did on the, on the 
cargo or the crew dragon is that we we just captured carbon dioxide so we we would use um, lithium hydroxide which would essentially pull carbon dioxide in and convert it to water and uh, and so that would allow us to just capture and contain carbon dioxide and scrub it out of the atmosphere and then we would release uh, additional oxygen and tightly control the the atmospheric concentrations of oxygen using pressurized gas that we flew up with the vehicle so this is a this is a good solution for shorter term missions. Well, and this is because what a lot of people might not understand is a lot of our understanding about physiology comes from the work that was done on the NASA programs in the '60s and '70s. You know, when there was a lot of mm-hmm. uh, work done on space, and so this kind of led to to your work now because obviously, you know, I'm not a I'm not a podcast about about space. I'm a podcast about fitness, and you're doing something a little bit different now, right? You you started a company called Levels, and so what can you describe what Levels does and what in, in how your work in space related to or got you interested in what you're doing now? Absolutely, yeah. So Levels is uh, the first real-time metabolic awareness program. And so we use glucose technology, continuous glucose monitoring technology, to connect people with the responses to the actions they take each day. So the metabolic responses that your body has to the lifestyle decisions you make each day. And so we're kind of operating, uh, you know, kind of flying blind for the most part in our day-to-day life. We, we don't really have feedback uh, from our bodies on how the decisions we're making are affecting us. So the goal with Levels is to provide a, a data stream, a user interface, and actionable insights to help you understand and interpret how to improve your diet, exercise, sleep, stress, all the environments that you bring to, to each day, two years, uh, or that you experience each day, uh, and, and optimize those. And so the, the way that this kind of all rolled out is, like I mentioned, I was working on life support systems, and it became quite clear to me that there were some really powerful effects of diet. So I'll give you one example. So uh, some of the circumstances that astronauts can be exposed to can be quite dangerous. One of those would be, for example, a high-pressure oxygen-only environment. So what this can lead to is you can actually uh, toxify the brain because of the high levels of oxygen and high pressures. This is called central nervous system toxicity. And uh, I was reading some papers by Dominic D'Agostino on the benefits of a ketogenic diet in delaying the onset of central nervous system toxicity under these circumstances. And it was, I I vividly remember this because it was the first moment in my life that I had a profound realization that diet can physiologically, it's like a superpower in certain cases. The power of diet in this specific example that I was uh, sort of working against uh, was was shocking to me. And I had never never realized, you know, I had sort of always dismissed diet as secondary to physical fitness. And so um, this kind of got me thinking personally, you know, what di- what data am I using? What optimizations am I making daily to better myself and be sure that I'm, I'm optimizing for longevity and health span? And I was frustrated to see that it was all qualitative. I was kind of judging myself based on feeling and, and kind of thoughts and sensations and, and uh, you know, Google searches and such. Uh, meanwhile, I'm working on this program that is hyper data intensive. Every decision we make is optimized. And, you know, there are these crew members who you can't get sick on orbit. You know, you, you have to be functioning. And so they are also taking data and lots of metabolic characteristics and lots of long, long-term medical conditions are being tracked. And so, um, you know, it just it started a period of self-experimentation. And one of the first things I started measuring was glucose because I was aware that it's upstream of this cascade of hormones that drive your daily experiences. And, uh, you know, long story short, I... I had some trouble getting myself a continuous glucose monitor when I did eventually get one. I found that I was spending a large majority of my day in a pre-diabetic blood sugar zone. Mm-hmm. And so this sort of 
all coming together. There's an access issue. There's this high-value data stream. It, there are potentially underlying conditions that you may have no idea about. Uh, it just showed me that there's an opportunity to really leverage this and bring people an, an awareness that they can use to improve. And you know, not to mention we have a, a real metabolic health crisis in this country and, and, and abroad. And so it was all just sort of uh, became clear to me that this is an opportunity that I would love to work on. Well, let's take a step back because, and I hadn't heard it, I hadn't really thought about about it like that because you're saying you read some research on a ketogenic diet. And first of all, what what exactly is, if you can give a quick detail about what a ketogenic diet is. Absolutely. So um, for modern humans, the primary molecule that we use for energy in our bodies is glucose, which is sugar. Now, there are uh, an alter- there are alternative mechanisms that our bodies have sort of evolved that allow us to uh, produce this alternative molecule, which is called a ketone, which is a, it's essentially a, a, a fat. So it uses a fatty acids and converts them into these water-soluble molecules called ketones, which can get across the blood-brain barrier to fuel our cells. Um, this, this ketone molecule is really powerful because it allows you to sort of supplement and or replace glucose as the primary energy molecule. And so to be in a state of ketosis is to be operating primarily or in an environment of elevated blood ketones. Um, so the, the process of producing those ketones is called ketogenesis, and ketosis is the clinical state where you have uh, a certain level of ketones in your blood and you're, you're said to be ketogenic. And, and so there is there a correlation between glucose levels and toxicity? And the reason why I'm thinking about this is because you were saying pound for pound or kilo for kilo – um, I'm surprised you still use the traditional units, but you know, <laughs> kilo for kilo, it's probably very, it's probably much more expensive to send carbohydrates up into space as opposed to fats, because mm. fats are more energy per gram. So That's... was that kind of like where this data came from? You're looking at okay, if we can only send one kilogram of food up, why not send up a high fat food as opposed to a high mm. carbohydrate food? Yeah, that's a really interesting question. I love the direction you took there. So uh, that's actually not how I ended up uh, researching this. It was, it was more so the circumstances that my my system, the oxygen system, uh, you know, in, in certain emergency scenarios, astronauts could be exposed to high pressure oxygen. And so there was this concern about central nervous system toxicity and trying to understand physiologically, are there ways that we can eliminate this? And so that's what led me to the ketogenic research. Now, uh, your, your point about energy density is really fascinating because uh, you're absolutely right. You, we have to bring our food up into orbit. And I think, you know, the so just just for a little background, a fat, a gram of fat contains about nine calories of energy. A gram of carbohydrate contains about four calories. So you have this basically you have twice as much energy density in a gram of fat as you do in carbohydrate. And so that's kind of the underlying assumption here is that, well, can we can we sort of bias towards a ketogenic diet and decrease by half the amount of food or, you know, you know, mass of food that we have to bring into orbit. And that's, a, it's a really good question. It's one that I think, you know, the space program is definitely considering and, and eventually we will almost definitely see some orbital ketogenic research. Uh, it's actually already underway, but we'll, we'll be seeing a lot more of this. And, you know, it, it actually leads to, to another question on earth here. You know, we, if you look at how the human body stores these two macronutrients, you have, uh, the ability to store sugar, as glycogen, and you can store about 400 grams of glycogen, so about 400 grams of sugar on the human body. Now, if you look at the fat storage capability of the human body, you can store a few hundred pounds of fat. <laughs> it's, it's almost limitless. If you walk, if you walk through exactly. any, any amusement park or any any, any airport, you can see that the yeah. fat storage is almost. And it's the, sky's the limit. Yeah, yeah, no. So, um, and, and it's fascinating because it kind of indicates that the the human body solved the same equation already. It decided 
So the, the energy density of fat is so much better than, than sugar. And the human body seems to have evolved to opt for the higher energy density molecule being the one that it, that it stores, uh, you know, primarily. And then the lower density sugar molecule is stored in lower quantities because it, it requires more volume to store. Um, so it's a really an interesting question. I think it's one that nature has also grappled with. Well, I didn't even thought about that because I can't remember if it's one molecule or one gram of carbohydrate or glycogen. The muscle holds on to two, two to three or two to four grams of water. So right. I could see. So if the muscle's storing, if you're storing 400 grams of muscle of carbohydrate, at, you know, then theoretically you have to store 12 to 1600 grams of water. I mean, correct? Exactly. So, and that's one that's way right. that bodybuilders poof up. And this ties into, and I know you're not a nutritionist or a dietitian, but because you know, as you're talking about this, Josh, I'm thinking about you know intermittent fasting and some of the benefits of intermittent fasting. Is that, I mean, what is your research with levels? What is that kind of, how does that support the, the concept of intermittent fasting? Mm. So, uh, you know, the intermittent fasting piece is, is really fascinating to me because I think, you know, one of the benefits of the levels program is it gives people concrete data, objective data about how the impacts of their lifestyle decisions actually play out. So you have a lot of people that are concerned that they have to eat at a very high cadence or the metabolism will crash or they'll go hypoglycemic or there are all these risks to not eating enough. And what you see when you have a glucose monitor on is you see during intermittent fasting periods, you see your body in action. It, it is tightly controlling your blood sugar levels. All of your hormones are under control because glucose signals to the body what your energy needs are, and it, it sort of triggers this cascade of downstream hormones. So when you aren't fueling up, when you're not uh, pumping exogenous energy into the system, it can just hit its baseline and cruise. And what you'll see is this beautiful uh, you know, flat line where all of your energy needs are accounted for, and your body is operating, and all of its sort of energy resources are dedicated to uh, the functions that you need. So your brain function, physical function, uh, what have you. And so intermittent fasting, I think, is a, is an excellent tool. It's it it may, it may not be a cure all for for everyone's uh, needs. Uh, certainly, we're all individual, but. Uh, what what it certainly is 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 a great tool to use to be able to sort of take back control of your day day to day lifestyle and also exercise a bit of uh, of you know what what I like to call just these these depletion periods where you uh, tap into the stored glycogen tap into the stored fatty acids uh, you know tap into your your body's uh, stores and sort of deplete a little bit so that you're not constantly topped off. You know, we live in a somewhat sedentary environment in, in, in the modern era. And so we're often fully topped off and, and just kind of layering on on top of that. And so intermittent fasting allows us to, to pull down some of those stored resources. And, and I, I would get off of this topic real quick, but I, you know, I've, I've read some research on IF and, and I always thought it was kind of a little bit of, um, you know, just one of these trendy things, but my primary care physician is a big fan of it. And I've been playing with it the last six or seven months and, you know, have dropped a little bit of weight, you know, myself. And so it's one of those things of where now I'm like, okay, there's something to it. But then talking with, with a nurse friend of mine, she was saying she experimented with it. And from the research she's read, it appears to be more effective in men, especially men in their middle ages like myself as opposed to women. So that's just a side note. You know, this is like it's one of those areas, Josh, where I'm like, okay, there's something here and I'm trying to learn more about it. So, I mean – it, yep. Does your does your does level support the use of IF? Is that is that one of the the ways that it helps somebody monitor their overall intake? Yeah. So so levels. Uh, the key to levels is that we embrace all philosophies of 
diet and exercise and lifestyle. So it's not necessary that we that we force everyone to kind of, uh, you know, adhere to a rigorous, uh, you know, philosophy of eating. It's more so that we want to meet people where they are and show them the data that underlies the decisions they're making. So, you know, there are all these dietary philosophies, vegan, carnivore, you know, everything in between. There's intermittent <laughs> fasting. There's, there's all we this. can open up a whole can of worms, man. I <laughs> mean, that's just, I, I, I'm, I'm laughing just because it's just like you say one trigger word and all of a sudden you're going to get flamed by you yeah. know, all the all the opponents or proponents on whatever mm-hmm. side it is. But so I appreciate you saying that. Yeah, you know, it's it's borderline religious. You know, we have this like emotional attachment to food and it makes a lot of sense evolutionarily. But, um, you know, ultimately what Levels does is we just we want people to be making decisions that are grounded in their data. And so um, certainly, as you said, intermittent fasting, for example, could work exceptionally well for a certain demographic and, and really poorly for another. And we can we can demonstrate, we can at least show some data that underlies the fact that, uh, you know, your decisions as you're making them do have an effect on you and you can see this effect with the levels program. And so we, uh, you know, if, if there are specific goals that an individual brings to us and they say, you know, for example, I'd like to lose weight or I'd like to optimize for exercise performance, we can make recommendations to sort of direct them and into these guided explorations to show the, so that they can learn the effects of these things like intermittent fasting. Um, you know, it's, it's more of an exploration and, an, and a metabolic awareness program than it is a rigorous prescriptive approach to diet and exercise, if that makes sense. Well, I'm really enjoying this conversation, especially from an engineering point of view. And, and from that, you know, as a mechanical engineer, how would you describe human, you know, the, the human metabolism and metabolic health? I mean, why, why should we be paying attention to that? Great question. Um, So if I was going to describe metabolism in a single sentence, metabolism is the set of cellular mechanisms that produce energy from our food and environment to power the processes in the human body. So think of this as the way that your cells take in food, uh, you know, breathing gases like oxygen, sunlight, all of the environmental factors and turn them into energy. Uh, That's essentially what metabolism is. And if you think about it that way, you realize metabolism is actually the foundation upon which any sort of health, physical, mental, uh, can has to be built. You don't have the energy to power mental processes or physical processes if you don't have metabolic function. So that's the way we think about it at levels, is that metabolism is the underlying foundation to the pillars of mental and physical health. And so what happens if we take in too much glucose? I mean, and I think, or take in too many carbohydrates, because I think this is where a lot of people will get into, kind of get into trouble, right? They may not realize how many carbohydrates they're taking in, whether it's via food, drink, or whatever. But what happens when we have an overconsumption? I mean, you kind of referred to it a little bit earlier, but again, from a, from an engineering standpoint, what kind of happens to our energy production or energy metabolism when we oversupply with carbohydrates? Yeah, it's a it's a relevant question. So, so again, uh, we have these sort of limited stores for glucose, right? And these this is our glycogen stores. We can store glycogen in the liver, we can store it in the muscle, and we can store a little bit in the blood. Yeah, you can actually only hold about a, a teaspoon of sugar in the blood at any one time, which is actually far less than most people assume. So. Carbs are just sugars, right? They're they're in a matrix. They're starchy, or or they, maybe they're simple, but ultimately carbs are sugars. And so when we consume carbohydrates, they break down into uh, glucose in the blood, 
And this can happen quite rapidly or it can happen uh, more slowly depending on how complex the carbohydrate is. But ultimately, it's, it's all sugar. And so if you're consuming large quantities of carbohydrates, in particular in a sedentary environment where you are not expending energy, so this can lead to a circumstance where we have high levels of sugar in the blood. This is known as hyperglycemia. And when we have sustained high levels of glucose in the blood, this signals to the body that we need to do something with it. We, we, it's, uh, it's, it's unsafe to have high levels of sugar in the blood at all times, and so we have to get this out of the blood. And the way it does that is it releases a hormone called insulin. Insulin signals to the cells to pull glucose out of the blood quickly, get them into the, cell, into the cells by whatever means necessary. So initially the cells will, will top off their glycogen stores. After that's complete, insulin will continue being released and it will signal store this remaining sugar as fat. And so if you prolong this, you know, you stretch this, this cycle out over long time periods during sedentary, you know, without a lot of exertion, and you end up in the circumstance where you have high glucose and high insulin over long time periods. And so what this ends up doing is producing uh, insulin resistance, which is essentially the numbing of our cells to the effects of insulin. Our bodies stop being able to use that insulin signal and stop being able to pull glucose out of the blood. So now you have high insulin, you have high glucose, you've started to gain uh, excessive fat, particularly visceral fat around the organs, and this starts to lead to real complications for cardiovascular health, a host of others, PCOS, sexual health, mood. I mean, the, the effects of, of insulin resistance are, are very widespread. And so this can all sort of be tracked back to the overconsumption in particular of, of, of high carbohydrate foods. Now, I'm, I'm not a carbohydrate extremist. I'm not someone who says you have to eliminate all carbohydrates or ketosis is the only way. Uh, but what I, what I am saying is that overconsumption, so tapping out our glycogen stores and not depleting them through periods of either intermittent fasting or exercise, does lead to this complex and vicious cycle where you end up sort of trapped with stubborn weight gain and ultimately uh, high you know, insulin resistance. And, and so, and that's why I thought your, your program and your system was fascinating because it's not just for people who are diabetic or pre-diabetic. I mean, we should be paying attention to our glucose levels in our daily lives, correct? Absolutely. Yeah. So, um, you know, we all have metabolisms, right? Every human, human being, like I said, it's, it's metabolism is the way that you take your environment and turn it into energy. And so, uh, you know, anyone who's alive has a metabolism and we don't have, it's, it's, it's important for us to kind of think of metabolism and metabolic function as a spectrum where you have, uh, you know, optimal health, let's say optimal metabolic fitness at, at one end, and then you have dysfunction at the other end. And it just gets increasingly worse. It doesn't have, there are no thresholds where suddenly you become metabolically unhealthy, so to speak. So it's it's very important for everyone to be making these decisions in, in their daily daily lives uh, from a pr perspective of information. So we, we need knowledge. We need to understand specifically the effects of our decisions. And we have to be empowered to be making better decisions. It can't, it's, it's not, it's insufficient to just say, eat better, you know, exercise more. We need to have some data. We need to have a compass, so to speak, to, to point us in the right direction. And, uh, you know, pre-diabetic, diabetic, non-diabetic, non everyone, again, struggles with the same metabolic functions. And, and the optimization is generally very similar. So there are obviously autoimmune conditions like type 1 diabetes that, that are you know, above and beyond. It's, it's sort of a whole different situation. But for those of us who are dealing with just chronic lifestyle-related metabolic dysfunction, that is where we can really uh, step in and make educated, informed decisions using tools like Levels. And that's, and what's been the response, you know, how have consumers been using it? I mean, is there, you know, is there a medical component to it? I mean, how does somebody get started with that type of program? 
Yeah, so the, the we're still pre-release. We're in we're in what we're calling calling the beta phase. So we're uh, very closely communicating with all of our our users and uh, developing the software and analytics program based on feedback. But as of right now, continuous glucose monitors in the United States are prescription-only devices, and so we have a partner telehealth network who uh, helps us ensure that we that we rigorously follow the ethical requirements for the FDA uh, compliance. And so there there is a prescription component to it. But really, what the the Levels program is all about is taking that that prescription hardware and opening it up to this this new world of uh, informational use, where you can get a really uh, a deep understanding of not just you know in milligrams per deciliter these complex terms of how much glucose is in the blood, but more so uh, scoring uh, your lifestyle decisions daily. And so the the Levels program layers on a deep analytics uh, software set, which brings in the glucose information, analyzes the trends and patterns, and gives you things like our metabolic fitness score, meal scores, glucose variability, time and target range, these these metrics that you can really orient yourself around day after day to better understand how all of your decisions together are pushing you either in the right direction or the wrong direction. And then we can deliver insights and research to help you better understand which you know which changes you can make to, to optimize. So just like you're doing a launch, right, for SpaceX, you have a whole control panel in front of you that gives you where the systems are giving you all the data on what you're about to send mm-hmm. into space. Basically, that's what Levels is doing for the consumer, correct, is just giving them more data about how their f- food intake is, is affecting their overall body's metabolism. Is that one way to look at it? Yeah, I, I love that. I love that concept. You know, it's a it's a da- consider it like a dashboard, right? So, uh, like you're saying, mission control for a space launch, you see all the data streams, and you've got the person right in front of them analyzing and making sure we go or, or we know go. Where do we have to focus our attention? Same thing when you're driving your car. You have all these complex m- components in the under the hood, and there's a lot of sensors, and they're pulling data off and displaying it in an easy to understand uh, just the dashboard right in front of you. So that's one way to consider it. Um, you know, levels we 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 are under the hood, so we're doing anal- deep analytics analytics on the lifestyle logging that you're doing and on the glucose data stream. And we're, yeah, we're compiling that and, and sort of succinctly displaying it for you uh, in, a, in a way that is actionable. So and, and, he, here is how you can improve. And, and see, for my target audience, I mean, my target audience is, you know, people above the age of 35. And that becomes, I think, you know, our, our overall glucose and carbohydrate intake becomes one of the biggest challenges that we have to healthy weight management as we age. Right. As we kind exactly. of, you know, especially as our metabolism slows down a little bit. That's why I found this fascinating. So how mm-hmm. can people get more information about what Levels is and, and how they can use it in their lives? So, uh, you know, our website is levelshealth.com. We, we have a blog, which is levelshealth.com forward slash blog. And uh, definitely read some of the background research. We, we're, we're compiling a huge, huge amount. As far as I know, the, the largest compendia of research on uh, glucose levels in non-diabetics. And the reason that we're doing this is, A, because it will benefit our understanding of what metabolic dysfunction is, where diabetes truly starts, and what it means to be normal and what it means to be optimal. These are, these are key outcomes of what Levels is, is setting out to do, which is to to improve metabolic health at a large scale, so we want we want to appeal to people at the at the individual qualitative level. You know, what is it that you're struggling with day after day? We're all performers in one sense or another. It may not be in the gym, it may be at work, it may be as a parent or a spouse, but ultimately we're all performing each day. And so we want to give you the tools you need to bet to perform better, to optimize your performance, and and you get this side benefit of long term improvement in in your risk of these you know lifestyle related illnesses. And so. Uh, that's that's we just want to meet people where they are, give them the tools they need to improve their qualitative and quantitative uh, lifestyles, and 
you know, so all of that research is, is being distributed through our social, uh, which, you know, we're on, we're on the social networks, Instagram, Twitter, you can follow us there and also on our website, levelshealth.com and our blog and follow along, you know, sign up for our wait list. We do have a, a very controlled beta going on. We have limited slots per month, but we are working towards a broad public release later this year, which we're very excited for. Well, and see, I think this is so cool, man, because for years, you know, not years, but for last maybe two or three years, friends and I have been talking about, okay, what's going to disrupt fitness? Because the fitness industry has been very traditional, very doing the same thing always. And we've been looking at, you know, we understand that probably technology will definitely disrupt how we do things. And it, it's really kind of cool to see what your background as a space engineer is is allowing you to do. And, and you're just taking a different point of view at how the human body and how the human body functions. And I think that's really cool. I appreciate that. Yeah, it's, you know, I'm, I'm, Again, I'm, I'm very blessed to, to have this opportunity, and I, I genuinely enjoy uh, what I do every single day. I, the, the process of exploration, the process of learning not just about myself, but about metabolism and physiology at large, and implementing some of the, you know, some of the lessons learned at, at SpaceX, you know, the build, test, iterate approach to, to improvement. You know, I think this is key. Everyone should be out there experimenting and exploring rather than just, uh, you know, kind of following the lead and, uh, you know, living our lives based off Googled internet research. You know, we, we need to take data into our daily lives. Um, you know, I like to compare what we do today to finance. You know, all of us have our mobile banking in our pocket. You know, you've got all of your bank account information. You've got financial experts giving you projections of, of your retirement, you know, in 40, 50 years into the, into the future. But my question to you would be, what data do you have that tells you that you're going to be around for that retirement or that you're going to be in optimal health? I you know, like and that. so... So what we want to do is, you know, we want to make it such that you have your metabolic health in your pocket. You open an app, you understand where you are, where you're heading, and you know, and you can feel more confident that you're making the right decisions. I would just make a little adjustment to that, maybe 10 to 15 years in the future. There you go. <laughs> in terms of retirement. Hey, final question, man, before before I let you go, and I, I really appreciate your time, and I appreciate your, your joining all about fitness. You, you're a little bit of a gearhead, so what's your favorite car? Oh man, that's a loaded question. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, like, if you look, if you're if you're gonna have like one car for tooling, say tooling around on the weekends, you're not out at a track. You're, you you want to have a little bit of fun on the weekends, just mm -hmm. driving. I'm in Southern California, a little bit. Yeah, you know, I'm not a huge car nut, but like, you know, mm -hmm. you're obviously you, you understand it, and you've made a few analogies. But what if you if you had a like a we'll say muscle car, like an old '60s era muscle car? Do you have a favorite Perfect. type of that? Absolutely, a '68 Camaro. Nice. That's, what, uh, what, that's what the car I'm it? going with. What was that? What, what about what about the Camaro? Uh, you know, I have to say this one. This is another one. Uh, my dad's my role model, and uh, he had uh, pictures of '68 Camaro in the garage when I was growing up. And you know, there's a there's a sharp body crease on that car that it's just vivid in my mind. I can you know, I can always picture the '68 Camaro. They sort of changed the the body styling uh, shortly thereafter, but I think it's kind of the pinnacle of of that, um, you know, mid late sixties muscle car design. And, you know, with the right, with the right exhaust mods, it's one of the best sounding vehicles on the planet. So that's, uh, <laughs> now, and I do have to caveat, of course, my daily driver would be a Tesla because I'm, I'm obsessed with electric cars and I think it's that they're obviously the future, but for that weekend warrior, that's going to be the Camaro. Hey man, that, that's an awesome way to wrap it up. So Josh Clemente with Levels Health. And I really appreciate, it's really cool to hear about what you're doing. I really appreciate your time today. Hey, Pete, I, I really appreciate you having me on and uh, loved our conversation and would love to geek out on space stuff or, or anything else anytime. As you can tell, we kind of geeked out a little bit. It was fun. I mean, I can tell he's a little bit of a gearhead, so it's fun to ask about the car. I'm more of a Ford guy. I'd probably go with the older Mustang, but I can definitely respect the Camaro. Actually, if I'm going to go an older car, I might go with the Pontiac GTO. Just, you know, one of those cool 60 cars. There's a place here in uh, Encinitas, California, near where I live, 
the Cardiff Motors. They have they have mo- muscle cars. My kids have to put up with me every now and then. We go by. I have to stop in and look see what they have for sale. I'm not in a position to buy one yet, but there's going to be one day where I pick up a 19, you know, something from the 1960s. It goes boom, boom, boom. Anyway, there's not a podcast about muscle cars. It's a podcast about fitness. That was a fun conversation. And like I said in the beginning, a lot of what we understand about human physiology comes from what, how we study the body in relation to going to space. And you heard Josh say, I mean, going up 100 miles, 100 miles isn't that far. I think that's 100 miles is about the distance, give or take, between San Diego and Los Angeles. You know, it's a little bit more. I'm trying to remember. I think it's a little bit more than distance between Philadelphia and New York. I definitely know it's a little bit longer than the distance between New York and Boston. But 100 miles is not that far. But think about if you go straight up vertically. You know, it's a completely different environment up there. And we have to understand how the body functions up in that you know, up, lack of environment, actually. You're up in a vacuum. There's nothing there. And think about it. If you have a very limited space in your payload, you have to be as energy as efficient as possible. That's why this was a fun conversation. You know, his PR firm reached out to me and said, hey, we have this guy who created the system. Once I saw he's a space engineer, I was like, heck yeah, I definitely want to have that conversation with him. So thanks for, uh, thanks for indulging us and thanks for letting have, let us have that conversation. And thank you for your time with that. Now, if you want to support the podcast, I, as, as I mentioned before, I'm doing a webinar uh, called Dynamic Anatomy, How Your Body Moves When You Exercise. But I'm also selling workout programs. If you want to get in the best shape without needing a lot of equipment, without wasting a lot of time in the gym, then that's the thing, right? A lot of times we go to the gym, we don't know what to do. I've been studying this stuff for more than 20 years. I've been educating personal trainers for more than, 20, for more than 15 years. You know, I've been a personal trainer for more than 20 years. I've been educating personal trainers for a little more than 15 years. The programs I've written, the eight-week dumbbell strength program, the eight-week kettlebell conditioning program, the eight-week functional core training program are based on science. They're based on how your body moves. Not only do you get the workout program, but you have metabolic conditioning, you get mobility training, you get recovery strategies, all that in an eight-week program, and I'm selling it for a great discount, 60% off. That's a little bit less you're going to pay, right around $20 for an eight-week program. So you're going to pay not quite a little bit more than $2 a week for a great workout system that you can do at home, and you can reach out to me if you have any direct questions about the workouts. I'm just trying to make, I'm trying to be here for a resource for you, and the cool thing is if you do those workouts correctly, not only will you get stronger, but according to the science, you are going to slow down the effects of aging on your body. And I'm going to talk about that in a couple of future episodes coming up. So again, thanks for stopping by. And as always, I look forward to having you join me for future episodes of All About Fitness. <laughs>